Bukayo Saka has been carrying around a nagging Achilles injury, according to Mail Sport. Martin Odegaard remains tight-lipped on his Arsenal contract talks. And Diamande interest confirmed by Fabrizio Romano. We'll be getting into all of that on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're good. Hope you are well. Happy Thursday. We are back with another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Of course, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. As I mentioned, right at the top there, we're going to be talking Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard. And we'll talk a little bit about Usmane Diomande, a player that Arsenal have been tracking, according to reports, for quite some time. This comes off the back of reports that Arsenal are prepared to go back in for him next summer. Uh, we'll break down exactly what's been said and exactly um, what the situation is. Um, as I say, hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Good morning. Uh, coming to you bright and early this morning, 9am UK time, because I've got a stacked day today and I figured that it, I was better off doing it now rather than coming home at some ungodly hour, sitting down in front of the microphone and basically not doing a very good job of it. As always, if there's big, significant breaking news and we feel the need to cover it, we will do that right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Also want to point you guys in the direction of uh, an episode that we put out yesterday. Now, this episode went out exclusively on our YouTube channel, so you can't find this episode in audio format. So if you want to check it out, you'll need to hop over to the YouTube channel if you are normally an audio listener. And it is a breakdown of Arsenal's Champions League group. Of course, it was a week yesterday. Um, before Arsenal returned to the Champions League, a long overdue return to Europe's premier competition. And I was joined by the very, very best in the business, European football expert Andy Brassel of The Guardian, of Football Ramble, um, of On the Continent. He is an encyclopedia of European football knowledge. We discussed Sevilla, PSV and Lons. We got the lowdown on all of those teams. And of course, we discussed Andy's brand new book as well. But as I say, that episode is only available on YouTube. It's not on the audio platforms. So uh, head over to the YouTube channel and check that out. Let me say a few hellos uh, before we dive into the conversation. Um, good to see Peeny win in the chat. We've got Bogdan. We've got Viju. Um, Chosen One says, hey, Harry, are you worried uh, about this report about Saka? Um, on that, uh, Zed Tom says, hope that Saka is OK. We can get away with resting him against Everton. So fingers crossed he's fine uh, afterwards. He also goes on to say we've got Vieira or Nelson as options or even Jesus with Eddie up front at all. Uh, up front too, I beg your pardon. Lots of you seem quite positive um, about the um, about the Saka stuff. And, and we'll get into that in just a second. Because, look, it's not the type of report that makes me think, oh, shit, we're in big, big trouble here. And, uh-oh, he needs to be dropped out of the team straight away in order to be given that time to recover. Otherwise, we risk further damage. Listen, players carrying injuries is a common thing. It happens more than you will ever know. And very often we find out after the event that players were not at 100%, that players were carrying a knock, that players were playing through the pain barrier, that there was treatment ongoing in order to manage that pain and allow players to get through games that are obviously 
deemed very, very important. So don't stress about this too much, but it does bring up a question in my mind about the way we use Bukayo Saka. And if we need to think twice about, you know, the way we manage his game time, because there is literally no management at the moment when it comes to Bukayo Saka. It's if he's fit, he plays and he plays for as long as possible in every single game. And look, that's fine. He's an important player. He's a key player. You you kind of want that to be the case, don't you? But at the same time, I just I just worry a little bit that, you know, we've we've got this amazing talent whom we rely on so much, but are we risking long-term damage by um, asking him to continue through problems like this? And listen, then it comes onto that whole debate around, well, international breaks aren't helping us because he's a, a big, big part of England's plans, which means that whenever he's fit and available, Gareth Southgate's going to use him. Now, he didn't start the game against Scotland the other night, but obviously he played some part in that. And, you know, I wonder if him not starting was a tactical thing or if it was with this problem in mind. I, I guess we're never going to really know. But an Achilles problem is is one that is notoriously difficult to shake. Um, it's a painful thing. Um, from what I understand, it is something that can be managed with certain treatment, painkillers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you don't want to get to the point where you're taking injections to play games of football. But that has been a thing in the past with this type of injury. But as I say, it's one that's really, really difficult to shake and one that if it goes completely, i.e., you know, we've seen players sort of snap their Achilles before, that can be a real, real long-term injury and a long-term problem. So although at this point, based on the reports we're reading, this feels like a manageable situation, I think we also have to be careful with the way we utilise Bukayo Saka and we've got to think twice about how we manage his game time because he is not a player we can afford to lose for a long period of time. Now, what would the alternatives be at this current moment in time? Yes, Reese Nelson's in the squad. Yes, Leandro Trossard, Martinelli, Emil Smith-Rowe have all proven themselves very capable from wide areas. I would argue that every single one of those players I've mentioned, though, has proven himself from the left-hand side and has been far more effective from the left-hand side than from the right-hand side. The thing is, you know, I guess that's probably what held Arsenal back from going big on a winger this summer was the fact that they do have so many wingers in the squad. And look, if somebody has to switch from the left to the right, Mikel Arteta will feel that that adaptation is possible. Also, I think Eddie Nketi is playing quite well at the moment through the middle, which means that Gabriel Jesus could be seen as an option from the right flank. He is a player that's played there before um, many a times for Brazil and for Manchester City. Um, not his preferred position by his own admission, but one that he's certainly more than capable of playing. Then you factor in that even somebody like Kai Havertz could, you know, come in off the right-hand side, a position that he's not totally unfamiliar with. Now, the Kai Havertz debate is an ongoing one, and I'm not going to open that can of worms on this particular episode. But there are options. And so if Bukayo Saka really does need a rest and a bit of time to recover from this problem and a bit of time to shake this problem, then I think Mikel Arteta's got to seriously, seriously consider doing that. And he's got to seriously consider shuffling the pack a little bit to facilitate that. Now, again, I, I reiterate the point. I don't know how serious this nagging problem, as it was described, actually is. And so I'm not in a position to say exactly what the right course of action is. You know, but I, I just 
I just think that when you hear things like this about a player of Bukayo Saka's importance, it does prompt that question around the way we manage him. Now, he's played 38 games. He's appeared in 38 games out of 38 in each of the last two Premier League seasons going into this one. So he's proven he's robust. He's proven he can handle it. He's proven that his body recovers quickly and well. But I would argue over the course of those two seasons, there have been patches in the campaigns where his form has dropped off a little bit. Now, I don't know if that's a physical thing. Perhaps it is, in which case that kind of proves that you need to be a little bit more careful. I guess, again, it goes back to that point of not having adequate cover, not having somebody that Mikel Arteta looks at and says, you are a specialist right winger. I will bring you in, um, in, of course, his absence. Look, Fabio Vieira could play from that position too. We've seen him do it before, and I think he's really come into his own, actually, um, over the last few weeks where he's really stepped up his game. I also think Fabio Vieira from that position is probably less of a gamble, less of a risk, because he doesn't get exposed for the fact that he isn't really that physical and he isn't really that dominant in that sense in the middle of the park. So, look, there's there's loads to think about here. Um, Nick Taji in the chat says that keeping Pepe could have mitigated this. I disagree with that. I think that the Nicolas Pepe um, ship sailed a long, long time ago. And I think while some maybe half hoped that he'd be kept on at the football club and allowed to fill that position and fill that void um, in the event something like this came about, we're just being hopeful more than anything. I don't think there was really any chance of Mikel Arteta doing a U-turn on Nicolas Pepe, who is injured, by the way, at this moment in time. So wouldn't have been able to come into the side anyway and replace Bukayo Saka now. Um, yeah, it might have mitigated the risk to a point later down the line. But I just, yeah, I don't think Nicolas Pepe was was necessarily... Um, the solution. We've got obviously Champions League football this season as well, which makes this even more of a discussion and even more of a debate. And I think that you're probably going to see Mikel Arteta shuffle his pack a little bit in the Champions League. Now, I don't want to spoil the programme. Uh, I don't want to spoil the episode that we did yesterday with European football expert Andy Brassel, which, as I say, you can check out exclusively on our YouTube channel. But based on what he said, I am now more convinced that Mikel Arteta will shuffle the pack a little bit in these Champions League games, particularly the ones at home. I think you're going to see the likes of Leandro Trossard get minutes. I think there's a good chance you see Fabio Vieira get minutes, a good chance that you see Emile Smith-Rowe get more time. I think there's a good chance that you see maybe one of Gabriel and Saliba rested, um, probably Saliba because he played every single game and Gabriel's been in and out. Um you know, there's a chance that you see Kivior come in. There's a chance that you see David Raya play as well. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how Mikel rotates the squad. He will feel now that he has more of a squad and a squad that he can trust in when it comes to rotation, which I think was always the thing that held him back. I think last season people said, well, it was poor management. He played the same team over and over again. And eventually we ran out of steam. We ran out of gas and, and we ended up where we did. I actually think a lot of it... Um, I actually think a lot of it was due to a lack of trust in the alternative options. But now he's got more players in and he's got more of his own um, sort of preferences available to him. I don't think he can use that as an excuse anymore. Terry Grant says, is it within you to actually say that Arteta's made a mistake, Harry? Well, this all depends on, on how this plays out. 
if it is a small, small, minor problem that Bukayo Saka has, and he's okay to continue, and he isn't going to break down with that problem in the near future, then has Mikel Arteta made a mistake? I don't, I don't think in that scenario you could say he has. I think this is all dependent on what comes next and what happens next. As I've said earlier on in the show, I don't think it's uncommon. I, in fact, I know it's not uncommon um, for players to be playing through injuries and players to be carrying slight niggles and knocks um, when sort of being asked to perform at the same time. It's, it's part and parcel of the game. If Bukayo Saka breaks down, is out for a long period of time, and we haven't got sufficient cover or adequate cover to come in and, and have a similar impact to the one that he has or facilitate others to, to step up their game so that they can fill that void, then I will be the first person to say that Bukayo Saka has been overplayed and that part of this is on Mikel Arteta. But we're not at that stage yet. We're not at that stage yet. And that's why I'm reserving judgment on this. We don't even know 100% that this is a thing you know this is a report from Sammy Mockbell of of the mail who i have to say is is normally pretty spot on um and he's pretty good i'm not for a second suggesting that he's lying or making this up but you know these are reports at this stage we've had no official confirmation from anywhere that this is the case and to add to that none of the arsenal journos i.e. your your david ornsteins your charles watts the people that normally break the stories have come out and said this yet. And I'm sure they'll be digging around off the back of that report emerging yesterday, trying to find a little bit more information. But at this stage, we're not at the point where we need to go, Arteta's this, Arteta's that, Arteta's to blame, et cetera, et cetera. Because as far as I'm aware, Bukayo Saka is available to face Everton at the weekend. But we'll see. Of course, we'll see. Okay. Um, Let's see uh, what else uh, you guys are saying uh, in the live chat. Uh, Ray Beam says, did Saka not have an Achilles concern back in June? Is it an ongoing injury? Well, that's what the report says, that this is something that's been carried over from last season. And um, and the reason people aren't particularly surprised by this is because, as you rightly highlight, this is something that's been said and, and been doing the rounds uh, before. Before we quickly break and we move on to another subject, we're going to talk uh, Martin Odegaard. We're going to talk Osmani Diamande as well. Uh, make sure you leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking you as we continue our journey towards 30,000 subscribers here on YouTube. It is very, very much appreciated. All your support. Um, honestly, it means the world to me, but a uh, like goes a long, long way on the old YouTube algorithm. So if you haven't done that already, please do so. Uh, just another quick fitness update. Um, the fitness of Gabrielle was a cause for concern, of course, going into the last few days. Uh, it picked up an injury for Brazil playing against Bolivia. Uh, had to come off on 85 minutes with what was described by some as an impact injury. There was, of course, panic within the Arsenal fan base. Just when we got Gabriel back into the side and saw the team playing in the way that I think a lot of us as fans wanted, um, there's concern over one of the key components to that. Gabriel started against Peru. He completed 90 minutes against Peru, which is obviously a positive. Um, he'll be travelling back to London Colney, joining up with the rest of his teammates. And fingers crossed he'll be fine and available for the game against Everton. But the reports were coming out of Brazil that he, he was fine to train after that. Um, issue that he experienced, discomfort he experienced against Bolivia. They said he'd start against Peru and they were absolutely spot on. He got through the 90 minutes and um, and as far as we're aware, he's OK too, which is good news 
of course. Right, let's take that very, very short pause. Then we're going to quickly touch on Martin Odegaard, Usmane Diamonde. And as for your questions, we've got a members edition of the podcast dropping later today. It's probably going to be around 4, 5 p.m. Uh, by the time we get that published. But um, I've recorded it in two parts because uh, I had some questions come in and then I had a flurry of more questions come in, questions that I thought were really, really good and too good to not put in the show. So it's recorded in two parts. I just need to string those together and get that out to our members as well. Remember, if you want to be a member, uh, you can sign up via the Another Slice platform. The link is in the description. The instructions are there as well. You'll be supporting me uh, to bring you guys more content. The more support we get, the more time I'm able to spend on the Chronicles of Aguna rather than chasing work elsewhere, if that makes sense. Um, we'll also um, point you in the direction of the website. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there is a website at thechroniclesofaguna.com where I am blogging now uh, as often as I possibly can. Going to try and do at least three or four a week. Uh, we've got two that have gone out so far this week, the second of which uh, was on Bukayo Saka, which is out now. Um, and you can uh, head over and uh, and check that out. Let me just uh, share the screen with you so you can have a quick peek of what that looks like. Remember, it's www.thechroniclesofaguna.com. Nice and simple. Uh, there you go. So you'll see that there. We've uh, we've been speaking um, to Kai Osaka. We did one earlier in the week on Kai Havertz. And there's also a link to that show with Andy Brassel. Um, of course, on the website as well. Right. Uh, let's do it then. Let's do uh, Martin Odegaard right after this. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Part of, of course, the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we've been talking Bukayo Saka. We're now going to talk Martin Odegaard. Lots of reports doing the rounds uh, in recent days about the contract talks that are said to be ongoing between Arsenal Football Club and Martin Odegaard's representatives. Odegaard spoke to the media uh, after playing for Norway just the other night, and he was very tight-lipped on the contract negotiations. He said, I I'm happy here. I'm fine here. I've got years to run on my contract. I am paraphrasing here. Um, and that it's it's for the people, basically, that its job it is to, to carry out those negotiations to to sit down with Arsenal and figure that out. Listen, from all the noises I'm hearing, from everything that I'm being told, Martin Odegaard is happy to commit his future to Arsenal Football Club. Arsenal are desperate to tie him down beyond the current contract, which, as he mentioned, still has plenty of time to run, so there's no need to panic there. Um, but this is moving in the right direction, from what I'm told, despite Martin Odegaard not giving anything away. Look, why would he? Why would he want to weaken his negotiation position uh, with the football club? You, you've got to understand that players are out there to um, get the best deal for themselves as well. And, and that's absolutely fine. That's how it works, right? But um, from what I hear, as I say, Martin Odegaard's contract talks with Arsenal are positive, are moving in the right direction. And there is suggestions that he's going to sign a new deal at the club that will tie him down until 2028. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, there have been some contradicting reports on that. Some are saying it's a deal until 2027 with the club having an option to extend it by a further year. Others are saying at this stage that it is a deal that will keep him um, simply with the club until 2028 um, should they choose to keep hold of him. Uh, so, yeah, um, not sure of the specifics on that, but 2027, 2028 is around about the, the period that we're looking at 
or the timescale that we're looking at uh, with regards to when this new contract would potentially end. Uh, so, um, yeah, interested to see how that plays out. But it's a bit like the Saka one. It's a bit like, um, you know, the some of the others that we've dealt with in recent seasons. It is moving uh, a bit like the Saliba one too. It is moving a little bit slow, um, but that's because there's no real urgency to get this done now. Um, and that's what people need to kind of understand. There's no panic. So let's get to that resolution, the right resolution, uh, slowly but surely. Um, OK, let's um, quickly talk Osman Diamande as well. Now, the sporting defender has been linked uh, with a move to Arsenal for a little while now. Um, lots of rumours, lots of reports claiming that the Gunners were keeping tabs on him talked about as a defender that's very comfortable with bringing the ball out of the back, certainly very physical, which again backs up the point that he would be a good fit for the Premier League. That's excited a lot of Arsenal supporters. Um, but from what we understand, no actual bid or offer went in uh, to sporting for Usman Diomande. However, Fabrizio Romano has confirmed that the interest is real and that he is a player that Arsenal have been tracking. Now, let me be clear. Just because Arsenal are tracking a player, looking at a player, are admirers of a player, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily 100% going to go in and make an offer for him. A lot can change between now and next summer. So don't get carried away on this one. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does kind of back up some of the stories that we've been hearing over the past few weeks, which is that Arsenal do like this guy. Arsenal are interested in this guy. And Arsenal will be keeping an eye on his development moving forward. Um, yeah, um, pleased because he's he's obviously a, a real talent. Um, spoken to people that have watched him far closer than I have, that know a lot more about him than I do, and and everybody seems to think that he'd be a, a really really good fit uh, for Arsenal Football Club, given his profile and all the rest of it. And fingers crossed, that's a deal that we can revisit later down the line. But as I say, things change, and why would you, as a football club, want to show your hand now, commit from now, um, when you might identify a better target over the course of the upcoming season. But Usman Diomande of Sporting is of interest to Arsenal. Whether that will develop into anything further, I'm not 100% sure. Okay, um, let's uh, let's pop over to the chat box uh, for the last couple of minutes of the show. Um, remember, we've got a questions and answers pod coming out a little bit later on today for our members. If you want to be a member, you know how to do it. Uh, visit the link in the description below. Um, Lots of the comments dominated by the Saka stuff. Um, you know, it, it's the big story today. It's why I've gone with it as the headline. Chosen One says, I just think, especially with the Champions League, the amount of games on the schedule is pretty grueling. Instead of 38, it's more like 50. Wouldn't necessarily want him to play all of them. I agree with that. And I always think like, you know, people say, oh, well, the Champions League and the Europa League, you know, actually the Europa League has more games and the Thursday-Sunday routine can become quite difficult to manage and, and quite difficult to cope with. And it means that if you're playing on Thursdays, you're pretty much playing on Sundays most weeks. And if you're playing on Sundays, you're often playing after the sides that you're competing with in the league, which adds extra pressure and all the rest of it. The difference is, though, in the Europa League, you can get away with playing your fringe players. You can get away with making sometimes five or six changes to your starting eleven, And you will probably more often than not still be good enough to progress in that competition. The Champions League is a very different animal. You sleep in the Champions League, you can very quickly find yourself in a position where you're in serious trouble. And 
at risk of losing your place. And, and that's not what Arsenal want. It's the first season back in the competition since the 2016-17 campaign. It's a long old time for a club like Arsenal to be out of Europe's Premier competition. We need um, to make our mark on this year's competition. We need to show the rest of Europe that we've progressed. You know, the Premier League knows it. Everybody looks at us now and thinks title contenders. The, the pressure is there now. The expectation is there based on what Arsenal were able to do last season. But now we need to show it to the rest of Europe. And honestly, I don't fear teams in this competition in the way that I would have done five, six years ago or the last time we were in the competition. I think we're as good as pretty much anybody barring two or three clubs um, who, you know, I would see as a threat. I think the English clubs are obviously a big threat to us. You know, you will always be worried about the likes of Bayern, Real Madrid, Barcelona to a degree as well. But I think, you know, we're we're in good shape. And, you know, you look at that group that we've got and, and again, go and check out that episode with Andy Brassel. It's been described by some as a Europa League group, which gives you faith and confidence in the fact that A, we should progress, but B, that we might just be able to do it even with a bit of rotation um, in our team. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Afsar says international football is so boring. Do you know what? I normally kind of get I always hate the first international break of the season because normally when they start to come a little bit later on I'm quite tired from work and I'm, I'm quite burnt out and I actually could do with a weekend here and there where it just winds down a little bit but when you're four games into the season and you're, you're wetting your appetite again and it's all coming back you know that the adrenaline the excitement of a Premier League campaign to have it stopped so abruptly so early on in the campaign is really frustrating and I hate this international break I've hated every minute of it. I've been so bored. I've sat down to watch countless international games over the course of this past week, and I haven't enjoyed a single one of them because the level is just not there. It, it just isn't there, is it, uh, in comparison? Okay, um, I'm going to leave it there. Um, got a dash, got to grab the train heading into, of course, uh, 90 Min Studio this morning for the final episode of Welcome to World Class, which you might have been following over the past few days. Join us from midday uh, on there. We'll also be recording our preview show for the weekend as well. Uh, so a really, really busy day. You can understand why I wanted to get this done uh, nice and early this morning. Didn't want to run the risk of not being able to get one done uh, later on in the day. Hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to like, don't forget to subscribe, all the rest of it. And I will see you guys soon with more. Uh, our preview show is coming up tomorrow. Arsenal taking on Everton at Goodison Park, a place that we haven't had a good record at of late. We'll be getting into that in a lot more detail, as I say, on that preview show coming your way very, very soon. Up the Arsenal, like, subscribe, all the rest of it. I'll see you guys soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.